0: I was nervous, actually, months back. Uh, Really, really nervous. Thinking I might be biting off more than I can chew. I know I'm in good shape and I swim and I exercise. But I am going to be 71 and I was a little concerned with my energy. Although you all, most people think, you know, Larry's got the most energy possible. But I do get tired uh, on occasion. Every couple months I get tired. Anyway, so... um, so I, when I went over, I was nervous, seeing what was going to take place. I knew that I had Messiah Conference coming up, and I have to do a number of speaking and teaching there at Messiah, and it's fun, but I, I'm nervous as I do ministry there. Uh, and then afterwards, Michael Radonic had me writing this chapter in his book that he told me, make sure you take about a month to to write. He said two weeks, which I knew meant about a month, to plan this big chapter in his new book that will come out next fall. And so I was a little nervous about that. Then come up our Jewish holidays. Then after the Jewish holidays, uh, I knew the first week in October, I had to go to Washington, D.C. with uh, Chosen People Ministries for a couple days. Uh, They have their uh, meetings, their leadership meetings. And then when I came back from that... That was on a Thursday in the beginning of October. Thursday, I was home for actually, I came on Wednesday, Thursday and Friday, two days. And Saturday, uh, I spoke here, and then I went to Israel. So I was a little nervous about that whole transition from Washington to Israel. Then when I came home from Israel, I didn't fly directly back to California. Fran did. I flew to Orlando, Florida, because we had the executive meetings for the MJAA, Missing Jewish Alliance of America. And I had to leave those meetings uh, from Monday to Thursday. And then I came home Thursday, and I knew I was going to be home Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And then Monday I was going to go to Japan. And I wasn't sure I could handle it. I really was nervous about uh, handling it, and so uh, we went to Japan, and I I wasn't sure about that, but one thing kept me going, one thing kept me going, it really did, Uh, although I I always have fun where I go, and I do ministry, and I enjoy all of that, because most people don't enjoy uh, your vacations and the things you do until you get home, and then you think back. We don't enjoy it when we're doing it. So I'm one of those people who enjoys when I'm doing it. But I was a little still concerned about the difficulties, struggles, the transitions. I have a little transition anxiety. I'm a little worried about traveling. I was always worried about that. One thing kept me focused. And I said, I want to get to November 6th. I said, November 6th, I can sit down and relax. And... And just come to Saturday here to services and share with you. And I said, that that one thing, I looked to the future. That at times, that's how I get through things. I look to the future. I don't want to discount the fun that I'm going to have. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just work and there's not much fun involved. But I look to a better place. I look to a time of rest. I look to a time... Uh, where I can think back and enjoy all... So I look forward. That's, I, I, I do that many, many times. I plan it, but I look forward to it. And I like to think in uh, Micah chapter 4, that's what the prophets in Micah does. Do, does. That's what they do. Um, they, they, uh, the prophets tell you of what's going on and the struggles you're going to have, but it, out, out of nowhere, the prophets just bring out like a hallelujah chorus. They just give all of a sudden an end time picture. They could go, and it's very common in Scripture, to give you difficulties, struggles, uh, uh, exiles, persecutions, all kinds of difficulties, and then out of nowhere, boom, they give you the future kingdom, Messiah reigning in his kingdom. And the prophets do that to give us hope. Now, when you outline the book of uh, Micah, the book of Micah, you should always have it. Write it down if you haven't written it down. Very, very easy to understand it. The first three chapters, chapters 1, 2, and 3, speak about God's judgment. He's going to judge the nations. He's going to judge Israel. He's going to bring difficulties. Uh, chapter 4 and 5 in Micah, he's going to restore them and bless them and give them hope. And chapters 6 and 7 in Micah, it speaks about Israel's repentance. That's the outline of the book. It's pretty easy. Judgment, restoration, and repentance. I showed you the cycle of how Micah preaches. Micah preaches. Many of the prophets speak the same way. They they start off, all of them, with, everyone, look up here, listen to me. The prophets do the same thing. Um, They say, listen. Then the prophets come out with a strong denunciation, strong judgment. You've done wrong. Israel, Judah, the nations have done They've come out with a strong judgment. Most of the prophets speak about the judgment to their people, to Israel and Judah, the the two nations of the Jewish people. And after they speak about judgment, you see the next thing is the prophet gives you his heart. You see how he's weeping and mourning for his own people, even though he has to pronounce it and he knows it's going to happen. He always gives his heart and so you hear his first judgment, then you hear, uh, first you, he says, listen, then he has judgment, then you see his heart, then he gives you a warning that this judgment doesn't necessarily have to happen now, but you need to repent and turn back to God. He gives the warning. That's the cycle that the prophets speak in. Hear or listen, judgment, my heart is for Israel, warning. And then the last thing the prophets always do, they intersperse it just like, like my, the, the gray, the, the black hairs of my mustache, they intersperse it with hope. Or you always just see hope. And, and that's where we were in chapter four, which gives you this hope. He speaks of, like I said, hear me, prophet, uh, judgment or warning, judgment, uh, the prophet's heart, the warning, and then the hope. This is where we are. Chapter four gives us a hope. And believers, believers, we need to look to that hope to give us uh, uh, an encouragement to live for him now. And as we go through life and the difficulties and the struggles, God tells us, serve him now. It's worth serving him now. He gives us blessings in our life now. But always look to that great future site when we will see him face to face, when he will restore the kingdom of Israel, when you and I will reign with him as the bride of Messiah. It's coming about. And so in chapter 4, that's what the hope is all about. That's where we were. If you, uh, uh, just uh, a verse or two that, that speaks to that is in Romans 8, verse 18. He says the, Paul, the apostle Paul, Rabbi Saul says, "I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worthy. We all go through sufferings uh, are not worthy to compare to the glory that we will have one day. That day is coming, and as I 've said many, many times, that future glory that we will have with him, if you 've put your trust in messiah, if you 've received him if you 've uh, told God you believe you're a sinner, you believe Yeshua died for you, and you believe uh, that he died for you, and is resurrected, you have a place in heaven, guaranteed. But that doesn't mean we ha- don't have troubles and difficulties in life. So there's a hope that he gives us. And while we look to the hope and we're seeing him face to face, seeing him one day, while we look to that, it should give us encouragement now to live for him, to serve him. It will be worth it, folks. Don't keep our eyes on the uh, temporal, the things we see. Look to the things that are not seen, the things that will last forever. That's why he asks us to serve him now. The things we have here are just temporal. We are, will not last. So, he says it in 2 Timothy 4. In the future, there is laid up for him the crown of righteousness, which God, the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to Paul on that day. And not only to me, but also to all those who love his appearing. Those who love his appearing work for him love Him, serve Him, uh, do what's right in this life, and we look to that crown of righteousness. Uh, 2nd, uh, uh, or Timothy chapter 2, grace, the grace of God's appeared to all of us, bringing salvation to all people, instructing us, you and I today, to deny ungodliness, worldly desires, that, uh, and to live sensibly, righteously, godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope. Looking for his return. Looking to the, that's the theme of chapter 4. We look to the hope. Right now we serve, but look to the hope. Second Peter says, uh, So all these things are going to be destroyed. All the things we see today. What sort of people are we to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for, hastening, looking for that day. While we look for the day, we serve him right now. While we look for the hope, we serve him now. Now, along the way, as you serve him, God will bless you now too. But the real blessings will be in heaven. And I often say this. The rewards that you get in heaven will be based on a faithful and disciplined life on earth as we serve Him. You're getting to heaven by faith in Yeshua. That's it. I always remember Ephesians 2.8. Four words. Everyone, do you know it? Good. (laughs) By grace through faith. That's how you get to heaven. By grace through faith in Yeshua's death and resurrection. That's the good news. We're all going there. Now, Pumbet says, well, what if I don't live for him? What if I don't serve him? What if I do wrong? How do you get to heaven, folks? Has nothing to do with works. Doesn't have anything to do with praying and doing good and reading the Bible. You get to heaven by grace through faith in Yeshua's death and resurrection. That's what gets you to heaven. How you live for him... If you don't do good here, that'll determine your blessings here and your blessings in, the, in eternity with Him. So, we said in our outlines, you have it. I'm going to try to have, fill it in quick for you. We should trust in the Lord, looking forward to, to experiencing the King and His kingdom. We should trust in the Lord. I would like to add, we should trust in Him, serve Him, live for Him today. Today. Today is the day we have the opportunity. You don't have another opportunity after this life. Once things go past, I I just saw something recently. We can't change the past, folks. There's nothing you can do. It's done. But you have choices for the future. And that's what, as long as you're sitting here, we have choices for God to serve Him. So, I said, chapter 4, fill it in because you have your outlines there. You should have an outline there just like I have one here. I want you to fill it in right now. We'll do in Roman numeral 1, we, we saw there, the M-I, we should trust in the Lord. Roman numeral 1, we should look forward to the king and his kingdom. That's what we've said. Fill in A and B, right with me right away. A is the king will rule from Jerusalem. We've said that many times. B, the conditions of the kingdom are peace and prosperity. This first point we've said over and over again, the king will rule. The conditions will be peace and prosperity. That's what we said. Let me just review that. Look with me. While he's preaching this uh, doom, all of a sudden the kingdom. Uh, Micah 4 verse 1. In that, come, it'll come about in the last days. The mountain of the house of the Lord will be established in the chief of the mountains. It will be raised up above the hills and the peoples will stream to it. There's coming a day when is coming back we don't have to look at it but uh, we're not going to look at it now but actually in Zechariah 14 it says Yeshua is coming back to Jerusalem he's going to lift up Jerusalem high in the earth he's going to lower the area around it he's going to make it a plain and all peoples from all nations are to come and see that the king is reigning in Jerusalem high and lifted up it's a glorious picture that Micah, Isaiah and other people portray the king is coming Um, he will rule and reign Micah 4.2 many nations everyone are going to come Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, as we sang today, uh, and to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us all about his ways, and that we may walk in his paths, for from Zion will go forth the law, even the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. The Lord is coming. He will reign in Jerusalem. And this is really what Micah is trying to do, a little contrast here from his book, as opposed to the kings of the northern tribe of Israel, who none of them are good. In contrast to the kings who reigned in Judah, in the southern tribes, they reigned for another couple hundred years, they reigned in the south, and of their 20 kings, eight of them were good, but eight of them failed at the end. They didn't make it through the whole way. They were considered good, but they weren't righteous and great kings that lasted. What Micah's doing is giving us a contrast, which many of the prophets do, compared to even the good kings to to the righteous king who's coming Yeshua's coming, he'll reign in Jerusalem he'll reign with peace and prosperity and blessings and the, the law will go forth from him he will reign and I like to compare this with the uh, the, the prayer uh, the disciples prayer actually the Lord's prayer but it's the disciples prayer when they say when we say your kingdom come finish it where? down here and right now. Are you willing to pray, Lord, your will, your kingdom rule in my heart today on earth. We want God's kingdom, we want his rule in our own hearts today. He should be ruling in our hearts. If we want it then, we should want it now. And that's a good and safe thing to pray, that God, and no matter what you do, your own desires and your own wishes and what you want, always say, Lord, your will, not my will be done. I want what God wants because he knows what's best. If we want his kingdom then, we should want his kingdom ruling in our heart today. The king will rule. We said second in that the conditions of the kingdom are peace and prosperity. When the king rules, there's peace and prosperity. When Messiah reigns on the earth, there will be peace and prosperity all around the world. Great, great, wonderful conditions. Micah chapter 4 verse 3 says, He will judge between many peoples and render decisions for mighty and distant nations. They will hammer their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation. Never again will they learn war. Righteous judgment, no war, peace, the agricultural, prosperity, blessings throughout the whole world. And I make the application. In the future, Messiah will reign and you know the conditions on this earth what they will be like in the future. My, what I like to say is today, if Messiah reigns in your heart, and if you're willing to pray, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. I have a lot of desires, Lord. I have a mate that I want to meet, a husband or wife. I want to go to this school. I want to do this in my work, in my ministry. I want to do this in my life. I want to go here. I want this and that. If you are willing to say, Lord, your will, not my will be done, I would venture to say in your life you will have peace, you will have blessing, you will be prosperous and successful in God's eyes, not necessarily the way the world considers it. You know my definition of success, finding out God's will and doing it. That's success. If Messiah reigns in your heart, you will have a measure of peace and prosperity and blessings in your heart that the rest of the world will say he can't be touched. We are invincible, folks. That's what's so beautiful. I mean, when I say you're invincible, does that mean things won't happen? Tragedies? Of course. Tragedies will happen. It happens to everybody. But nothing can touch you. Nothing can take that peace away when he's reigning and ruling in your heart. I've said, in my, I remember one specific time, I'm not going to go into it in my life, when everything was falling apart. Everything was falling apart. And God spoke to me. And God says, I have it all under control. And it was an intense time of prayer. And God spoke to me, and I was able to commit to him, my house, my children, my ministry, everything. And everything, nothing changed. But I committed it all to him, and God came and ruled my heart and gave me peace. My friends did not believe it. I said, no, no, I'm not making this up. I know completely everything is under control because he is reigning, he's ruling. What about all the difficulties? He is reigning, he is in control. I can trust him, no matter what takes place. Though he slay me, actually that would be good. You know, it's you know my friend Michael Rudolnik when he was sick, and he said it on air. He said I was dying, I almost died. He was he told his people in his radio broadcast, and he said so I was about to die, and he said my good friend, and he got through it. My good friend Larry came to see me, and he and I said to Larry, I said Larry, I almost died. And Larry said to me, you'd have been better off if you did. Anyway, because um, we would be. We would be. Everything's in control, even though he slay us. We, he's in control. We will have peace. Uh, look at me second here. Um, we said there, yeah, I'm trying to skip around. Roman numeral two. First, I said the king is reigning and the peaceful conditions. Second, the deals in this chapter with the, the subjects, the people of that kingdom. Who is bound for the kingdom of heaven? Isn't that a glorious thing? This earth is one thing. It'll pass away. We will all pass away. Uh, one out of one dies. Sorry to tell you that. Okay. 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 You have hope like you'll be Elijah or, or uh, uh, who else? Uh, an Enoch. Most likely you won't be. Okay. One out of one die. But we have hope here. It's not just in this life, but we have a future. There's a kingdom coming. That kingdom will be a thousand years. You and I as the bride of Messiah, we will reign with him for a thousand years. And your blessing and your position in that thousand years will be based on how you serve him today. How you serve him today is the best. You're going there because of? By grace, through faith in Yeshua the Messiah. If you truly put your trust in Him, you're going there. What your position is there will be based on how you live here. So, Messiah will rule and reign. Who's going to the kingdom? All those, we said, fill it in, the people who are the people of the kingdom, those who trust in the Lord, all those who put their trust in Messiah, those are the ones who are going uh, to be with Him. doesn't matter who we are, you could look at people with a lot of money and position and power and who have all kinds of things and who we envy at times. And we shouldn't. I quoted, uh, I, I should get who said it, but I thought it was the Queen of England when she said she quoted the verse in Corinthians, not many mighty, not many wise, not many noble will go into the kingdom. And the Queen said, I'm glad the word any has an M in front of it. Not many, some. She got in because she put her trust. The rich, the well-to-do, it's harder for them to get into the kingdom of heaven. The down-and-outers, those who put their trust in Messiah, those, whoever, it's not just the down-and-outers, whoever puts their trust in the Lord, those are the ones who get into the kingdom. Uh, Isaiah makes it very clear, the Bible tells us, it's whoever who humbles himself and puts their trust in Messiah. Who are the people of the kingdom who put their trust in him? Uh, all, all them i mentioned when I first became a believer, uh, I used to go over to the house of the Finkelsteins. That's where all the believers were. And I looked, and listen, I was a college graduate, and I thought myself as somewhat together. I might not have been, but I thought I was. But I saw some of the people, the Finkelsteins, and these were drug addicts, and these were dropouts. And these are the people I called the down and outers. And I looked down on them and i said i'm going to put my trust in their god and to become like them and the bible does teach us all of them the lord accepts i love that uh, that uh, portion in scripture it says yeshua came not to heal the well to do but the sick so he comes for the down and outers he comes for all those who will humble themselves And put their trust in Messiah. That's what this section tells us. Who's bound for the kingdom? Those who trust in the Lord. Look what it says in Micah 4, 6. In that day declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame, the outcast. That's not just saying that's all who get into the kingdom. There might be others who get into the kingdom. Many others. It says not just the lame and the outcast. And it says, I will make the lame a remnant. The outcast, a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion. And from now for evermore. The Lord is for all people. All those who receive Him put their trust in Him. Who have a hope for the future. That's what the Lord... These, these are portions in the book of Isaiah that tell us how to look for the Messiah. Because the Messiah will come and He will heal the lame, the downhearted, the depressed, the blind. And all those who receive Him are bound for the... There is hope for all people. None of us are better than anyone else. All those who put their trust. The Lord loves all of us. That, was, that really hit me and moved me in taking the subway trains in Japan. How God loves every... And I was looking at all these different types of people. All the thin Japanese people... Because there's not many heavy. I don't know why that is. Everyone's thin. It's all that fish they're eating. But there, uh, and I said, but the, I looked at all these people in the subway, and I looked at them, some downcast or whatever, and I said, the Lord is for everyone. Every single one. It, it gets to me when I, I, I wish I could speak languages. I really do. To communicate with these people, the Lord knows everyone's thoughts, all their life. he is for all of them. And Isaiah summarizes it, so does Micah. Isaiah says in 29, verse 18, uh, out, of the, uh, out of darkness, the eyes of the blind, he's for the blind, he's for the down and outers, he's for those who are depressed and down. Isaiah 32, it says, the ears of the deaf, they'll be open, uh, the mind of the stammerers uh, will discern truth, the tongue, of the deaf and dumb, they will speak and hear. Isaiah 34 says, the ears will be open, the lame will will walk, the tongue, they will speak. Um, Isaiah tells us, how do we know the Messiah? Because he's going to heal all these people. And the kingdom of God is for such as these. Not just for elect, not just for those. Some have their acts together, some don't. He's for all people. And so um, Micah's telling us the kingdom belongs to all of these people. I've mentioned before in this one, I, I want you to try to get down. Who is bound for the kingdom? In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, all those who put their trust in the Lord. Not in Yeshua because they didn't know about Yeshua. But I would say Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, David. All the people in the scripture who truly followed the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These are what I call Old Testament saints. Now, before Abraham, there were other saints as well who had heard the message of God and believed. People like Melchizedek, and uh, uh, Noah, and uh, all people that, that are even before. They're bound. Who's bound in the old covenant? All people who have received and put their trust in God, in the Messiah, in the Messiah. Who else is for that kingdom? All those from Yeshua's time till today what I call New Testament believers for 2,000 years. All those who put their trust in Messiah, Jewish, Gentile, all kinds of people are bound for the King. Every nationality, those who put their trust. So if you're going to think about the future kingdom over there, the kingdom, Old Testament saints are bound for the King. Only those who've trusted the Lord. New Testament saints, only those who've received Messiah and put their trust in the Lord. Then there's coming a time of tribulation on the earth. And in that tribulation period, those who put their trust in Messiah in the tribulation period, they're bound for that future kingdom too. Some of those in the tribulation period in the future, some of those will live through the tribulation. Not many, but some. Those who live through the tribulation period, who put their trust in Messiah, they're bound for the kingdom. The common factor of all those, those who received the Messiah. Those in the tribulation period who died who put their trust in Messiah, but were martyred and killed? They're bound for the kingdom of heaven. All those, and that's Micah is telling us: all those who put their trust in Messiah, or them, the people. That's who are part of the kingdom. Look, look at their authority and well, rule. This I really enjoy in Micah chapter four. We think of the kingdom as Yeshua ruling and reigning, but there's a, a, a hope, an encouragement here. First, look at Micah four eight. As you know, tower of the flock, referring to Jerusalem, hill of the daughter of Zion, up on a mountain, Zion, Mount Zion. To, uh, to you it will come, even the former dominion will come, the kingdom, uh, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. This is a glorious, glorious kingdom, like only one time in Israel, it was similar under the kingdom of David and Solomon, but not perfect. It was a great, great kingdom to come. All those. But I want you to see, Daniel tells us. This is very, very great. I love this in Daniel. Daniel tells us in two of his chapters, chapter 2 and chapter 7, he shows us the people that are controlling Israel. First, it was the time of Israel. Then he says it's the time of the Gentiles. And he says those who controlled Daniel's time, those who will control, and he gives us an overview of history. And Daniel says the first kingdom that's controlling us will be Babylon. Babylon. And he gives us a vision of this, of a statue. The head is gold. That's Babylon. They controlled Jerusalem. And they controlled Jerusalem until about 539 B.C. And a new kingdom came in. And that's pictured by a chest of silver. And that would be the Medes and the Persians. And they controlled Israel for a time period. till about 323. Then in the vision, Daniel says another kingdom will come in by the name of Alexander the Great. He tells us the Greeks will come in, and that's portrayed by the stomach, the muscles, the stomach of bronze. Then he says after them, another kingdom will come in and rule Jerusalem. and That will be the kingdom of Rome, and they're portrayed with the, the legs and feet of iron and clay, and Rome will, will control. And that, of course, is divided up into two periods for Rome, back in the Roman time, and yet in the future, when uh, be right before Messiah comes, there will be what we call a revival. Roman Empire. But Daniel says this, in all that a little stone is coming. I just love when he says that. The stone's going to land on the toes, the little feet of that buried statue and the head of gold and the chest of silver and the stomach of bronze and the legs of iron and all the kingdoms of the earth will crumble and that stone the Messiah will grow and grow and grow And that kingdom in the future is given to not just the stone, but all the people of the kingdom, the saints. That's our kingdom. And Daniel says it so beautifully. Daniel, look with me, chapter 7, verse uh, 18. We got it up there? They're good up there. They're very good. But the saints, it could just say the king, but the saints of the highest one, the Messiah, will receive the kingdom. The kingdom comes to Yeshua and all of us. Those who reign with him, the people of the kingdom. Who are they? The down and outers, the downcast, the the trodden, the depressed, the lame, the blind, the deaf, the dumb, the ones who can't walk lame. He says the saints uh, will receive the kingdom. They'll possess the kingdom forever and all ages to come until the Ancient of Days comes. And judgment was passed in favor of the saints we got a part in this. It's a great, great part. The saints are the highest one. He makes that very clear. He says it time and time again. The next section, uh, verse 27. Then sovereignty, rule, the dominion, greatness of, the king, of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to who? People. The people. That gives us the hope, not just the stone, but to all the saints. We are the people of the kingdom. We have the rule and reign. Here's the scary and happy and encouraging or depressing thought. We have the rule in the kingdom. What's your position? It all depends on how you serve him now. You're getting there. You're part of the kingdom. You're part of the rule. The kingdom's given to you. But your position is based on how you serve him today. Don't waste time. Life goes by so quick. Let me assure you, when we all go out, we all go out the same way. With nothing. You can't take anything with you unless you've served him. You take a lot with you. The saints, he says, and it says, uh, the whole, uh, he, under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. The saints get the kingdom. Our rewards in heaven are based on a faithful and disciplined life on earth. Our actions, the way we serve him, are always viewed as silver, gold, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw we go to the judgment seat of Messiah and stand before Yeshua and in a sense it's a picture and the flames come up the flames of judgment not of hell the flames of judgment God's judgment at the Messiah not, not for believer, uh, unbelievers it's only for believers when we stand before Yeshua the flames come up and you're standing there and all the deeds you did there were wood hay straw Nothing. All the good things you did. You don't even know the good things. All the Lord knows your motives. You served him, loved him, did good, worshipped, tithed, served, taught, did your ministries, whatever God has asked you to do. That's gold. That's silver. That's precious stones. You know what happens when you put them in the fire. All the impurities go out and you shine Forever. That's what the kingdom is. That's your position. Let's move on. But, but, Micah goes on now, everyone. Get ready. It's not so great now. I give you the glory. But Micah does this. He says, the prophets. I'm following the prophets. He says, from the glory, he says, but let me tell you, if you don't do right, God's going to deal with his children. He deals with his children. He promises. God's discipline and judgment even comes to God's children. Nonbelievers, look, look at me, everyone. We got the time, rapture, tribulation, kingdom, great white throne judgment, the end of all time. There will be a great white throne, and the judge, the king, will sit on the throne. Who, anyone know who the king is going to judge the world? Yeshua. He's the judge, the great white throne. And he will judge all the non-believers. First, he will First, he will show them by their deeds and their, their works. They don't earn heaven. Then he will turn to the book of life and say, Did you trust in the Messiah? No. You're bound to be apart from God for all eternity. There's another way to say it. You're part, you'll have a great part in the lake of fire. Those who don't trust the Messiah. But does God deal with you and me and his children? Yes. Sometimes very drastically. He deals with his children. And Micah is telling us that. There's hope, but let me tell you, God still deals and judges his people. He warns them. And it says, "God will discipline God's children will be disciplined. Those who don't trust in the Lord. What do I mean by you don't trust in the Lord? I'll tell you what it means not to trust in the Lord. Let me try to get a little personal, okay? Those who don't trust in the Lord are those who come here many Saturdays. Yeah, you come here, many say. You're believers, you by grace through faith, and Yeshua, you sure you're going to heaven. But you come to, and you say, "I've trusted the Lord for salvation." Those who don't trust in Him, you don't read your word. You never read your word. You come here and say, "Larry, that's good enough." You don't spend time in prayer. You said, "No, no, I thank God for food." No, nah, that doesn't count. Okay, it's a little, it counts a little. Okay, you don't pray. You don't read the Word of God. You're not involved with doing anything for Him. No ministry. You're not serving Him and doing what's right before God. You're living your own life for your own purposes and your own plan. You are not trusting in the Lord. And God will deal with you. Answer this question. You put your trust in Yeshua the Messiah. You've accepted Him. Are you going to heaven? You can answer. Yeah, you are. But you didn't trust him and serve him and live on the here and the light. You lose out now, and you lose out in that kingdom that I just described to you. Those, God deals with His children, and how He deals with His children, I don't know. Sorry, He might deal with you now to try to bring you back. That's good, but He certainly you will lose out in that judgment seat. That you might have wood, hay, and straw. Those who don't trust in the Lord. I was recently talking to a believer who served the Lord, been active in ministry, went to Bible school, served the Lord. Now the person's not doing well. They haven't served the Lord. They're not doing well. They, uh, uh, they have bad thoughts and they, they're not walking with the Lord and they're struggling. They have doubts about their future and they say, if I'm doing bad and wrong, is it over? Is the Lord going to throw me back? i said no 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 the lord never throws his children back but what you do is you suffer loss now i pity the people in the world that don't serve the lord you i don't care if you have millions of dollars you are miserable poor wretched naked you are empty before god with all your wealth it's meaningless. God will deal with His children. And I told this person, I said, if you're not serving the Lord, you are still bound for... Out. I had to give them hope and encouragement. You put your trust in Messiah, you're going there. But you will suffer now. You will suffer now. And at the, great, and at the Bema seat, at Yeshua, you'll suffer there as well. You'll have gold, uh, wood, hay, straw. You'll suffer loss of rewards. Will you be in the kingdom? You're safe. Because I know you put your trust in the Lord. But God disciplines He's got to discipline and deal with his children. Look what he says here. Uh, where was I? Yeah. God will... Dis- yeah, those, those who don't trust in the Lord. Look what Micah says in uh, Micah 4.9. Why do you cry out? Micah's dealing with the people. And he says, why do you people cry out and cry out for help and mercy? Because Micah's times, let me tell you when he's writing, he's writing around 720, 730 B.C.E. In 722, the northern tribes of Israel were taken captive to Assyria, never to return. They were taken captive. Micah might be saying something to them. He says, God is going to be dealing with you. Why are you crying out to God that you're suffering? Or he could be speaking to the southern tribes of Judah, which he really does most of his messages, to the southern tribes. Why are you crying out that things are not good? Your king Ahaz is no good. Why are you crying out that you are God's people and things should be better? Because you're not walking with God. And Micah is very strong on that now. We're getting off of the hope. We're getting to the here and now. And he says, why are you crying out to God? Is there no king among? Go to your king. Why don't you go to your king? Go to your prophets. Go to your priests. Go to your leaders who have turned you away from God. They were all corrupt. And Micah deals with the corruption of the prophets, the priests, the king. You want things better? Go to those you're trusting in. Go to the king. Go to the prophet. Go to the priest. Why are you crying out to me? He says, Go, uh, if the, is there no king among you? Go to him. Or as your counselors, prophet and priest. Have they perished? Where are they? You want blessings? Do what God wants. That, that agony has gripped, gripped you like a woman in childbirth. God is going to deal with you. Micah is writing this. Try to get these times. This is hard, I know. Micah is writing this about, we'll say, 7, summarize, about 725 BCE. So we're going downward, you know, it's, Go from here to zero and then 725 years before. That's when Micah's writing. And he's saying, your king is no good. He's going to suffer. He said this 125 years before Jeremiah tells what happens to their king. Jeremiah speaks. I'm sorry. Ezekiel says it first. uh, Yeah. Ezekiel says this. I'm going. Ezekiel wrote. Give you time. Micah wrote. Seven twenty-five. Ezekiel wrote about 600. Between 600, 586, 580 in that time. 130 years later. And Ezekiel says uh, about judging them. I will also spread my net over him, over the king. Ezekiel, 130 years later, says, your king is going to be judged. And he will be caught in thy snare. And I will bring him to Babylon in the land of the Chaldeans. Yet he will not see it. Though he will die there, this is an amazing prophecy from Ezekiel, because Ezekiel is telling us that the king in Israel he's going to go to Babylon before it took place, but he's going to go there and not be able to see it. You know what happened to the king? Yeah, his eyes were blinded. He was his eyes were taken out. His children were killed, and he was taken. Ezekiel tells us, but it's funny because Micah 130 years before says it's going to happen. Look, what, Jeremiah says the same thing is going to happen to their king. God deals even with his children. You're not safe just because you're a believer. They will be captured. The, uh, then they will capture the king, bring him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah in the land of Hamath, and, and Babylon will pass judgment on him. Lamentations, written by Jeremiah, says the same thing. The breath of our nostrils, the Lord's anointed, was captured in their pits, of whom we said, under his shadow we shall live among the nations. The king would be captured. God deals with believers now. He will deal with you. Many times my prayer for you, for your children, for my children, if they get out of line, here's my prayer to God. Lord, can you bring my children back gently? Because sometimes he doesn't always bring them back gently. Sometimes it takes more to bring them back. My prayer for our children. Lord, bring them back. God knows what it takes. Bring them back gently. Be gentle with my children. Because I know it took for for God to speak to my heart sometimes. Bring them back gently. Look what happens. Fill it in. They will suffer. Believers will suffer. But God will still bless and restore. He does that. That's His promise. God does promise uh, to to bring them back and restore them. Micah 4.10. Micah remembers writing about 725. Micah says, "Writhe and labor to give birth, daughter of Zion, like a woman in childbirth. For you will go out of the city, dwell in the field, and go to Babylon. Everyone, listen. Do you know when Micah wrote? Tell me if you know. Thank you. I said it a few times today. Micah wrote 725 B.C.E. What does he say in this verse? The Jewish people are going to go where? He wrote this in 725 BCE. Do you know when they went to Babylon? 586. What's that? 145 years before? Micah prophesied. He says God's going to deal with you. He doesn't always deal with you right away. That's my fear. You never escape it. Confess your sin. Turn away from it. And you might escape you don't turn away from your sin, God might not deal with it today. Could deal with it tomorrow. Could deal with it 500 years from now. He does that in the scripture as well. Nothing escapes his notice. And so we see Micah prophesy, you're going to Babylon. And I picture the people in Micah's time saying, Wow, Babylon? What is Babylon? They don't exist yet. They're there, but they're nothing. They're not a kingdom. Assyria is the kingdom. Micah, are you out of your mind? We're not going anywhere. We're God's chosen people. We come to Shuva on Saturday. God's not going to do anything to us. We put our trust in Messiah. He wrote this. 140 years later, Micah wrote this. He's saying the captivity is going to happen. 140 years later, you know who's speaking? Jeremiah. 140 years later, and look what he says. On the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine was so severe in the city, there was no food for the people in the land. Then the city was broken into, and all the men of war fled. They went from the city at night by way of the gate between the two walls, uh, which was the king's garden. Though the Chaldeans were all around the city, and they went by way of the Arabah. They left the city. 140 years later, Jeremiah is describing what Micah said is going to happen. Because God never forgets. He's dealing with his children. They had time to repent. And Jeremiah says in chapter 52 verse 12. Now on the 10th day of the 5th month. Which is the 19th year of Nebuchadnezzar. King of Babylon. In case anyone thinks. The Bible is just fairy tales. Nice stories. That give general principles of life. That don't really speak of concrete. Exact truth. Look what this writer says, Jeremiah. On the fifth of the month, the 19th year of the king, uh, he he gives him specific, on the 10th day of the fifth month, the 19th year, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, his captain, bodyguard, is going to come in the service of the king, and he will burn the house of the Lord, uh, the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem, even all the houses will be burned. So all the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captain of the guard broke into the walls of the city of Jerusalem. And then the captain of the guard carried away some of the poorest of the people, the rest of the people in the land, the deserted. deserted, He carried everyone to Babylon. 140 years later, Micah says, get your act together. Otherwise, you're going to Babylon. God deals with his children. Let's get back to Micah 100 years before uh, Jeremiah. But look what he says this. Even though God's going to deal with you. I love one verse here. Look what he says. Rise, labor. I just read this for you. Rise, labor. Give birth. Daughters of Zion. Like the woman in childbirth. Now you will go to the city. Dwelling in the field. You will go to Babylon. I just quoted you that verse. And I stopped at Babylon. That he predicted. 140 years later. Jeremiah says. It took place. Micah in the same verse. Said this. You're going to Babylon. But. There you'll be rescued. What do you mean? 7.25? I'm going to Babylon, which didn't take place for another 140 years. Then he says you're going to be rescued, which didn't take place for another 70 years. People have trouble with the scriptures. How accurate they can be. These things should... Prophecy should encourage and give you hope. And I was just reading this week in a book where it says when everything's out of control and you see terrorists, Muslims taking control of the world and everywhere... They're starting to filter into Japan. They've taken over all, uh, all kinds of other cities. I hear the Muslims are taking over in Russia. Russia, they're taking over. The Russian people are having abortions. They're not having children. But the Muslims there are having three to five children. They're going to take over Russia. When the whole world is out of control, terrorism is going to run wild. And and everything is and, and people are going to change elections that took place last week. Anyway, we're not getting there. And, and and everything is totally out of control. Nothing's out of control. It's all fitting in God's perfect plan. Nothing's out of control. It's all been foreseen by God. It's all been ordained by God. He knows and so what Micah says here is so cool he says you're going to Babylon that's 586 there you'll be rescued that didn't take place for another 70 years Micah's giving you the scope of history there the Lord's going to redeem you and bring you out from the hand of your enemies all will be saved Isaiah down the street from Micah Micah's preaching, he's preaching in one part of Jerusalem, he says you're going to be taken captive and then you're going to to Babylon, and then you're going to be delivered, and down the street in the other corner, Isaiah is telling all the people, you're going to be delivered, they say, wait a second, Micah down the street just told me we're going to be delivered, Micah and Isaiah are preaching the same time to the people, and Micah says, you're going to be delivered, Isaiah is down the street, hey guy, how you doing, Deliverance? yeah, okay, got you covered this time, anyway, Isaiah says, not only are you going to be delivered, first you're going to be taken captive, Micah just told you that, then, you're going to be, uh, go to Babylon. Then you're going to be delivered. Isaiah says, let me take Micah's one step further. Not are you only are you going to be delivered, Micah's, Isaiah same time, 725. Not only are you going to be delivered, let me tell you the name of the man who's going to deliver you. That's what Isaiah did. In 725, he tells us of a man by the name of Cyrus who in 539... Almost 200 years later, a man is coming by the name of Cyrus. He's going to tell the Jewish people who are taken to Babylon. What Babylon? We didn't even know. We're, yeah, you're going. You're going to Babylon. They, you're, Isaiah says, you're going to be going to Babylon. But then this man, Cyrus, who's coming from a different kingdom. Actually, the Persians, which you don't even know about yet. But he's coming. And he's going to tell the Jewish people in Babylon, go back to Israel. It's, it's, are you all confused? I'm sorry. I, I couldn't make it any clearer. But it's the best I can do. Anyway, Isaiah tells us this. Isaiah's writing, same time Micah, and look what he says. It is I who says of Cyrus. Isaiah 725 writing it, Cyrus 539, 200 years later. Isaiah calls him by name. The liberals don't know what to do with it. They say it can't be. You know what they say? It's not Isaiah who's writing. Someone years later wrote about it and threw Cyrus's name in. There's days right afterwards because they don't believe that God can tell us the future, and it says Cyrus, he's my shepherd. There was no Cyrus yet; Cyrus wasn't born. He will perform my desire. He will, and he declares of Jerusalem, she will be rebuilt, and the temple will be rebuilt. Your foundations will be laid. Isaiah says in forty five one, thus says the uh, thus says the Lord to Cyrus, his anointed. Cyrus not born yet when Isaiah wrote it, whom I've taken by the right hand to subdue nations. Before him, loose the loins of kings; open the doors before him, that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you, and I will make the rough places smooth. I will shatter the doors of bronze and cut through their iron. I will give you the treasures; uh, uh, I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden wealth, secret places, so that you will know that it is I, the Lord your God, God of Israel, who calls you by name. Isaiah tells us this. Micah says it seven twenty five. That you're going to Babylon. Jeremiah says, we're going. That was 140 years later. Micah says, you're going to Babylon, but God's going to bring you back. Isaiah says, God's going to bring you back. Let me tell you by who? By the name of Cyrus. 200 years later, after the Jewish people were taken to Babylon, they were there for 70 years, a man, Cyrus comes in from a different kingdom, not the Babylonians, from the Medes and the Persians. Cyrus takes over. And he says to the Jewish people, Go back, go back to Israel. God portrayed it. And we see it the night it took place. It's a famous night in history. Daniel tells us this. We know the story. That same night, this is 200 years after Isaiah. That same night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was slain. That's when the handwriting was on the wall. So Darius the Mede, Darius the Mede, received the kingdom at about the age of 62. This took place in 539 when the kingdom of Babylon was destroyed. And it says in Ezra chapter 1, Now in the first year of Cyrus, 539, of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation. Cyrus made the proclamation and put it in writing. Cyrus, the king of Persia, uh, says, the Lord God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He has appointed me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. And then he says, whoever there is among all of you people, may his God be with him. Let him go up to Jerusalem, uh, which is in Judea, Judah, and build the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. Isaiah portrayed, uh, prophesied it. Daniel said it took place 200 years later. And Ezra said it would all happen. It all took place because God will discipline you, but God will restore you. If you're out of contact with the Lord, if you're out of ministry with the Lord, and you're at God will restore you by you having faith and putting your trust in God in the Messiah. Last thing, follow along. Victory belongs to God's people. With all the discipline, and all the people that rise up. We're going to skip some verses up up there on the balcony. God's children will be victorious. Always, always in history. Everyone look up here. There will always be rebellion against God and his people. Rebellion against God's people. In the Old Testament, Elijah the prophet, they rose up against him. Everyone in Israel rose up against him. In the Old Testament, believers were persecuted. In the New Testament, believers will always be per- persecuted. Today, you will be persecuted. All those who desire to live godly in Messiah Yeshua will suffer persecution. God, The Lord says, in the world, you will have tribulation. You will have persecution. But take courage, I have overcome the world. There will always be. Now there is. In the future and time, there will be persecution as well. There will always be rebellion. Micah 4.11 says, And now many nations have assembled against you, Israel. Listen carefully to this verse. Many nations have assembled against you, say, Let her be polluted. Let her eyes gloat over Zion. Micah's telling all the people here, Many nations have assembled against you, Israel. He could be speaking 10 years before the northern tribes were taken captive. He could be speaking Micah is speaking to the northern tribes and saying, Israel, you're going to be ta- the enemies are going to come in against you. Ten years from now, they were taken captive. He could be speaking about 150 years later that Judah, you'd be taken. The enemies of God are going to rise up against you and take. He could be referring to that, maybe. But this is probably referring to the end time. That's where Micah is going. When all the nations of the earth will rise up. See, it's a pattern. It happened in Israel. It happened in Judah. It's happening today. There's always rebellion against God's people. And in the end time, there'll be rebellion against God's people. In the tribulation period, there's always rebellion against God's people. That's what Micah is trying to tell us here. Psalm 2 puts it this way Why are the nations in an uproar? That's the end time. Why are the people devising the vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand against the against, uh, take their stand, and the rulers take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us tear their fetters apart and cast their cords away from us. The nations will rise up against God. That's Isaiah, uh, Psalm 2. Zechariah 2, the end time, says it this way, behold, I am making Jerusalem a cup that causes reeling to all the peoples around. When the siege is against Jerusalem, it will be against Judah. All the nations of the earth one day are coming against Israel. We see it forming now. You read some of Joel Rosenberg's books and you see all that's taking place in Ezekiel 38 and 39, how it's all being prepared through Russia and through the Muslim nations around there and through Turkey and through uh, the northern uh, Africa. All the nations are forming to rise up against Israel. In Zechariah 14, I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle. There will always be the enemy rising up against people. Rebellion will always take place. But, fill it in, B, victory belongs to God and his children, for all his children. Victory always belongs to God. You can put your trust in the Lord and have victory. I joke with some of you, every day, every day, I pray for that victory. One victory? What do you have to go through every day? I pray, God, give me your advantage today. I need your advantage, Lord. Today I'm coming to speak to your people. The devil wants to kill me today. He's got henchmen all around me right now trying to cast darts against me. The forces of the world, now this sounds paranoid, I know, but the forces of the world today are trying to kill me at this moment. They would love to do that if they could. And to get rid of all, silence all of God's people. But victory belongs to the Lord. No one can touch you if you are walking with Him and praying and seeking Him and you're serving Him and you're loving Him. You are safe and secure in His hands. You got the victory. I don't always know how the victory will look like. I don't. But I am sure God can give you the victory, the assurance, the confidence going through life. That's what I want. The world, the circumstances, people have it in for believers. You could have the victory, the assurance, and God can put your life. If he rules in your heart, you will have peace in your life and peace in the world. Even when things go wrong against you. The nations of the world, Micah says, will rise up against Israel. Victory belongs to the Lord and his people Follow here. Psalm 2. Love the way. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, Micah 4.12. But they, the nations of the world, who come against God. They do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They don't understand God's purpose. For he has gathered them like sheaves to the threshing floor. He's going to destroy the nations that come against Israel. He's going to destroy your enemies. Psalm 2. I just said the nations are in uproar. They gather together against God and his anointed. What's going to happen? Psalm 2, look in verse 4. He who sets in the heavens, God, looking up there, looking at all the nations gathering against you and Israel and God's people, and they're all gathering up and every, everything looks bad and chaotic and terrorism's going on. And what is God in heaven doing? <laughs> Can you believe this? They're rising up against me. What are they doing? They don't realize they're fitting into my plan perfectly. Perfectly. He says, He who sits in the heavens, he laughs. He scoffs at them. He will speak to them in his anger. Do what you want. Terrify them in his wrath, saying, As for me, God, I'm going to install my king on my mountain, my holy mountain, Zion. God gives the victory. Micah 4 13. Arise, thresh, daughter of Zion, uh, for your horn, power. I will make like iron, and your hoofs I will make bronze. Israel, you will overcome your enemies. They will pulverize you, many people. And the people devote devote to the Lord their unjust gain, and that you may devote to the Lord all their unjust gain and their wealth uh, to the Lord of all the earth. God will bring victory. Joel puts it this way, the Lord will roar from Zion his victory from Jerusalem. The heavens and the earth will tremble, but the Lord is a refuge for his people, a stronghold to the sons of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Joel uh, 3.16 6, uh, says, 18 says, In that day the mountains will drip with sweet wine, the hills will flow with milk, and all the brooks of Judah will flow with water. And they will go out from the house of the Lord to the valley of Shittim. Egypt will be a waste. All the enemies will be destroyed. Joel 3.20 but Judah will be inhabited forever, Jerusalem, for all generations. And I will avenge their blood, uh, their blood which I have not avenged, for the Lord dwells in Zion. Amos, I'll just write it down. Amos chapter 9, verses 13 through 15. Amos says the same thing, that he will restore the captivity of the Jewish people. Haggai says he will shake the nations of the earth. Victory belongs to the Lord and His people. We should trust in the Lord. We should trust in the Lord. Main idea. We should trust in the Lord today. Looking for and experiencing, looking forward to experiencing the King and His kingdom. What do we do today? Three things. One, serve the Lord now and trust in Him today. Two, Difficult times are coming, folks, all the time. Expect them. Things will never go smooth. Expect difficult times will come to everybody. But look past the difficult times. Look past the difficulties. Look, look past the struggles to the future. Looking to the future can help us to survive today. Look to the reward. Look to the future. Look to his faithful inheriting the king and his kingdom. Father, we thank you for the chapter 4 of Micah. The victory, the king is coming. He will rule and reign. The people who trust in the Lord will take part of that kingdom and have authority. But you will deal with your children today as well. You will discipline us if we get out of line. But we know victory belongs to you and your people. And if we walk with you and align ourselves with you and your purposes, we will have victory. Because victory belongs to the Lord and His people. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen.